Hello and welcome to Talk the Line. My name is Jen Long. We upload a new podcast every Friday, talking to an artist about something that they secretly love, their obsession, their passion, something they're deeply interested in, but might not always get to talk about. All our previous episodes are at talktheline.blog, from Shura to Amanda Palmer to Justin Young. You can follow us on Twitter at TalkTheLine. You can follow me at Jen Long. I think we're on YouTube and Instagram too, something like that. And it is easy to subscribe to this podcast. All you have to do is click that button on your listening device and you will get a new episode every single Friday. Kevin Baird is a founding member of Two Door Cinema Club, probably the most successful pop rock band to ever come out of Northern Ireland. The three members of Two Door met as teenagers in Bangor, where they made their TV debut at the age of 16 on a BBC TV music talent show, where they came last. In 2007, they conquered social media and chose music over university, releasing debut EP Four Words to Stand On the following year. Two Door have had massive success across the world with three massive selling albums, including their platinum debut, Taurus History. But I am talking to Kev about something a little less celebratory on this week's episode as we sat down to talk about the troubles in Northern Ireland. Where to begin? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, actually, where, where to begin, though? Because I've been trying to research this and it's yeah, so where to begin. heavy. Yes. That I, my head is so full of like organisations that are like three or acronyms. four letter acronyms yes <laughs> exactly but i don't and i and it's it, i i guess i always think just within my lifespan that it's like something from the 80s but actually the trouble started in the late 60s yes but it actually dates back way way further than than that like the root of the troubles in northern mm. ireland i guess it depends how far back you want to go um and yeah, I, I think, you know, the reason why I like to talk about it is I feel that I've noticed, especially since I moved away from Northern Ireland and moved uh, to London and onto the mainland and into England, that uh, I guess people just, a lot of people just don't really know anything about Northern Ireland um, to the point that I don't think people don't know, say, Northern Ireland is not in Great Britain, for example. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. even the name of our country specifies it apart from everyone else. Do right. you know what I mean? How do you mean that? I, I know. I don't think I do. I know. I, I remember when I, I when I used to do the radio, mm. and we had a big weekend in oh, Derry, Derry London Derry, and we always had to say like Derry London Derry, and we weren't allowed to say over to the mainland. Yes, that was that very could be a con- uh, yeah could be cause some conflict for some people yeah so i I mean even after doing all this research i'm Mm. still not completely sure i mean i guess it surprised a lot of people recently when you know when when when, uh theresa may did that deal with the dup that say for instance like uh like gay marriage is still uh is it's not a thing in northern ireland that um abortion obviously this that's been uh in the news quite a lot because of the uh, eighth amendment in Mm -hmm. ireland in the republic yes and it's actually still Sorry, the Republic of Ireland. I see, I see. But it's still illegal in Northern Ireland. So I suppose True. in that sense, people are it's slightly more on people's radars now. Yeah, I think, and that's, I think, me personally, I find it almost a source of frustration because I find Northern Ireland um, makes it, or I guess the negative things about Northern Ireland makes it into sort of the news here in England or in you know in Scotland and Wales it makes it into the news when it that starts to impact usually on on England Scotland or Wales you know what i mean it's yeah. not really in its own right so when you would say suddenly people more right wing press would be worried about Jeremy Corbyn mm. they try to dig up lots of the stuff about the IRA as if yeah. they suddenly now really care and obviously there was some very serious things there for you know British people in the 70s, 80s, even 90s. Um, it wasn't just a Northern Irish issue, but, it, you know, the IRA still exists, and it seemed strangely 
the timing always seems very strange when these things come up. They say the abortion thing, and it's amazing that it's getting the sort of coverage that it is. Mm. Um, and I think there's a lot of people doing some great work to try and highlight the fact that this still exists in the United Kingdom. You know, it's not. It's criminal to the point of if you have any chance of the only way you can get an abortion is if the woman or the person who's able to to get pregnant is their life's at risk right do you know it if you if your life's not at risk but medically your 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 child is is dead inside of you mm. you will have to carry that to term and it's just barbaric and i think there's a lot of people who find or who find themselves totally at odds with the fact that that still exists in the United Kingdom? Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, it's definitely seen. I've I've noticed it now. The implication has been almost as a way to attack Theresa May. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It, it, and I find that I love the fact that it's getting voice and people are talking about it, and and hopefully there will be some sort of change. But I see. I, I definitely more so in the media see an ulterior motive of of trying to to be like, oh, well, what's this going to mean for the conservative government? Blah blah yeah, blah. Yeah, you yeah. know, not necessarily about real people, real people in Northern Ireland. You know, who are able to get pregnant, having to suffer this. Mm. You know, but obviously highlighted by the fact that the DUP props the Conservative Party up. So exactly. there is that kind of closer alignment between the two of them. Yes. So that, I guess, those a lot of those issues, to me, I find frustrating because um, Northern Ireland's only ever mentioned when it's, it creates a negative impact somewhere mm. else. Um, there's so much that's sort of re- remains very murky and everyone, most people only have a very sort of surface layer knowledge of you know of things you know it's kind of like oh ira bad uh you know yeah kind of thing um so yeah it's it's kind of it's a very interesting topic i think anyway Mm. but uh, no it is and i i guess also a lot of people there's like for for people who maybe only have like a kind of like you say passing knowledge it's the confusion over but what is what are the troubles are about what are sure. the troubles about is it is it a religious thing or is it like a nationalist thing but they're sort of so entwined right yeah and that go that again is something that dates right back to the very beginning with the sort of people who were native to ireland and sure. then the new settlers and they had I mean, mm-hmm. I might be completely wrong here. Well, and it, they had different religious beliefs. It's kind of all, you know. You, I guess, a lot in the, you know, in you'd learn about things like, okay, civil war in England. Do you know? I guess that sort of, or Henry the that transference between Catholicism and Protestantism in um, in the Church of England, mm. um, and basically. Do you know, England has been has been um, sort of conquering and colonizing Ireland for you know somewhere between five hundred and eight hundred years, um, and largely when that when when the English crown turned over to being Protestant and Catholic, the and the Irish majority was Catholic. Yeah, um, and it was sort of seen as a bit of a threat. Um, and nor- well, the north of Ireland was traditionally the seat of the most rebellion against Protestantism and against English crown. Mm. Um, and when so the, the it was uh, started with James the first, you know, early sixteen hundreds. They um, what we would be called their process of the plantation of Ulster. Where they sort of said, "We can't just come in and get them to 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 change over and be Protestant. Mm. We had to place a lot of Protestants from England, a lot from Scotland, um, who were largely Presbyterian. That's why there's a big Presbyterian um, culture in Northern Ireland to this day. And they largely kicked off all the local Catholic 
And Presbyterian is another form of Protestantism. Protestantism. Yes. So, you know, you'd have Baptist, Methodist, Protestants, uh, Presbyterians, and you'd have Anglican, which mm-hmm. would be Church of England yeah. or Church of Ireland. Um, and that's all Protestant. That's all Protestant. And then you have Catholic, and you have different threads of Catholicism as well. Well, you would have different threads of Catholicism, but largely kind of like sort of, you know, you would have the the Catholicism centered out of Rome with right. the, the Pope and things like that. And then you would have sort of like Eastern Orthodox. Okay. But in in Western Europe, it would be largely, you know, okay, so it's uh, Roman papal Catholic. Catholicism. Right. Yes. Okay, cool. gotcha. Roman Catholic. Roman Catholic. So then, but that, it gets very confusing because then... So I guess that was, it started around then, mm. around the 1600s. With the planters. With, yeah, and they kicked the people off the land. And then they, throughout history, foreign nations have tried to use Ireland as a way to, um, to you know, I'm trying to think of the word, weaken, you know, British resolve. And, and you know, so... You know, like say people like more traditionally Catholic countries like France or Spain would have always sort of, you know, helped arm rebels in Ireland and maybe mm. use that as a springboard as a, tr- a possible place of invasion to the main to yep. the mainland of the UK. So, I think that's why Ireland was always such a problem mm. for the English was that it was so close. Do you know? Yeah. Um, so. Maybe I'm rambling now. But, yeah, so essentially that's how the Protestants got there in the first place. Okay. Do you know? And then around this time there was, you know, kings in Ireland or more sort of like tribal sort of tri- chieftains. Mm. And they all fled to mainland Europe because they were never going to they were never gonna last under this uh, sort of colonization. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so then, histor- you know, Nor- the north of Ireland so Ireland is split up into counties and there's six counties in the north and they about three of them would be have a majority Protestant population two and a half would be slightly more the other side of ca- yeah. to Catholic but they would be more rural and they would be the sort of border areas Okay. Um, and then so once once that happened, you know, the Protestants sort of coming to the north of Ireland, settling there, you know, they, and over throughout history, by them being sort of loyal to the crown, they would have had the best opportunities in terms of education, in terms of industry, in terms of, so all those traditional sort of, you know, jobs like being a lawyer or owning mm. a factory or, you know, shipbuilding was very big in Northern Ireland. You know, we built the Titanic, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, all these things, all these industries were being largely um, run by Protestants and to the point where, you know, there was these things called the penal laws in Ireland where Catholics couldn't vote, couldn't own land, couldn't own a horse. Wow. Couldn't own a fucking horse, for example. <laughs> do you know? Um, because they were Catholic. Because they were Catholic. Wow. And they couldn't uh, marry a Protestant. They couldn't. If a Catholic died, mm. his uh, his land or his uh, it should be inherited equally amongst all his sons. If one of the sons decided to convert to Protestantism, he'd get it all. For example, Ooh. so it was v- much a m- very much a kind of uh, a tool trying to encourage people to convert. Yeah, you know, you even hear things about during the famine, which mm. is a very um, triggering triggering thing for a lot of Irish people because a lot of people see it as as a genocide. Yeah, as a kind of will, uh, willful negligence on the so on the side it, of the British. It was blight that. To the potato crops, yes. To the potato crops. Genocide in the terms of the the blight was induced on purpose? No, in the sense of um, the the government in London did very, very little. Right, okay, to help. To the the level that 
I think it was the Ottoman Empire, and so modern mm. day Turkey. Um, they offered to give loads of money as a relief, as an aid effort to the suffering, hungry people of Ireland. And it was so embarrassing because it was like three times as much as the British government. At this time, you know, this was, it was the UK and Ireland. At this point, you know, mm. 1801, they made it. So then the, the country used to be called the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. Mm. So we're, it was all part of the country. So this was essentially the UK at the time. Yeah. So this far, they, the British government has to ask, had to ask the Turks not to send it because it was too embarrassing. Oh, it was a, it was a, at a time where liberalism was kind of coming into its own. When the idea was that let's not like, the free market's like a wild beast. Don't touch it, and, you know. Don't try and meddle with it. It'll all work itself out, kind of mm. thing. And there was a lot of sectarianism, xenophobia yeah. in London to say these are savages out there you know it's their own fault kind of thing mm. so there's lots of stories during the famine of you know the church of ireland which is anglican so protestant and mm. um, similar thing to the church of england they would have said we'll give you soup if you convert to protestantism so this was quite rife at the time wow so like convert or be hungry yes so there was or definitely we'll die yeah exactly yes. so, or emigrate Oh yeah, of course. To America. A lot of people went to America then, yes. right? Yeah. So there was def there's been a lot of since about, you know, the sixteen hundreds, there's been a policy of making life difficult for someone if you're not a Protestant, i.e. you're not the same religion as the as England or Scotland or Wales, mm. which would largely have been. And that is kind of what led to the situation in Northern Ireland where Protestants were very much the ruling class. Mm. Do you know? And in a modern sense, um, you know, we're, and we're talking about the troubles. People don't know whether this is this a religious issue because mm. it's just like Protestant versus Catholic or is this kind of a, you know, almost like a statehood issue of we want to be British. No, we want to be Irish. Yeah. And I think largely it was a civil rights issue. Um, do you know, and, and the context of the time, you know, this really started in the 60s, you know, they were looking at Martin Luther King Jr. They were looking at the civil rights movement in America and going, do you know, the way the system worked in Northern Ireland at the time, we can't vote if you're Catholic because you had to be a rate a rate payer you had to pay your ta had to pay tax mm. which meant you had to have a job or you had to have you know a permanent address so it massively uh, discriminated against the poorest in society which were catholic because they had less access to housing less access to education um so they started these marches you know they started to to march and demand that we should be allowed I guess things like access to council housing mm. was massively, massively swung towards Protestants because Protestants were in charge of the civil service. They were ex pretty much exclusively the police force. They were, they were pretty much exclusively, you know, doctors, lawyers, anything like that. So that's kind of where I guess the movement really started, and I guess. You know, some would argue how the Northern Irish security services, so say the police, and also the British government and the army, how they reacted and how they tried to stop these protests with extreme force. Mm. That is kind of, some would say, that what kicked off the whole thing. Right. So but at this point, Northern Ireland and... Northern Ireland. <laughs> You're picking it up, <laughs> picking, picking it up, up the accent. <laughs> Northern Ireland and Ireland had already separated. Northern Ireland. There was already a border, to say. Tw 1921. So Northern Ireland has only existed for, you know, we're coming up to the centenary yeah. now. You know, it's not actually that long. No, not at all. Uh, um, but the, 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 co uh, yeah, the confusion comes because the Catholics were predominantly, Roman Catholics are predominantly nationalist. Predominantly. Um, uh, yes. Protestant predominantly unionist. unionist. Which we, yeah. 
so they're sticking with the quote unquote mainland. Yes. Whereas nationalists want a united Ireland. Yes. Okay, got it. They see themselves sort of culturally as being Irish rather than British. And I and as something as a kind of you know, I'm definitely not an expert by any means. And also I have to I would pull my hands up and say I come at this from an angle of pure privilege. Mm. Do you know I grew up after the worst of the troubles. Um, you know, I am a straight white male from middle class background, raised Protestant. Mm. Do you know? So I as much as I try and be balanced and try and put myself in the shoes of other people, I don't think I'll ever understand what it must have been like to be a whole host of, of people, you know, during the 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, and you, but you say you, you grew up after the worst of it, but I mean, sure. it still must have had an impact on everyday life. It still must be something that's kind of like omnipresent. I would say I didn't meet a Catholic person until I was... 20. Wow. Well, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true, technically, but you know, to this day, you know, school, schooling would be segregated still. Really? There are initiatives for what we call integrated education, but they are where I grew up, there wasn't integrated there wasn't an integrated school mm. anywhere near where I'd live. So I couldn't go to that. And essentially it's segregated in the sense that there are Catholic schools and then by design almost everything else is Protestant. But then in terms of teachers and who recruited and, and I guess even religion, like assembly and Bible readings, yeah, it would yeah. all kind of come from a Protestant point of view if you went to a grammar school yeah. or a high school. If, essentially if you didn't go to a school that was either Roman Catholic or integrated where mm. there was zero religion. And the integration thing is a very recent thing in terms of education. But, yeah, so, you know what it's like? You're a kid, like, you just, you hang out with the people you go to school with. Yeah, of course. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm not mixed, you know, uh, and also, or say something like sport is very segregated because, say, football would be, or soccer or whatever you want to call it, would be more of a pro traditionally a Protestant sport, mm. whereas you'd have sort of, like, Gaelic football or Hurley, which would be traditional Irish games that would be played at uh, Roman Catholic schools do you know so as you if you're a young kid how are you supposed to to meet people even though community wise and that's part of what led to a lot of a lot of the troubles was that we're very sort of jumbled up and mishmashed together is not kind of like the east is Protestant west is Catholic it's yeah. not as simple as that communities um, sort of interlock uh, between religions so yeah that I mean education is a big one for me which I think is very you know we would have uh, when I was in primary school um, there was a, a scheme kind of it was called cross community cross community uh, initiatives where you would get paired up with the local Catholic school in your town and you know, maybe once a week for a couple of hours, you'd go to their school or they'd come to your school. I think we even went to like a a, a weekend away somewhere and went like kayaking, maybe. Right. Um, but you know, we we we'd go to their school and then they'd be like, "Oh shit, uh, gotta do something Irish." Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Then you know, you'd have to learn like Irish dancing or the tin whistle. Right. And then yeah. I don't even know what they did when they came to the Protestant school. Just played like rugby or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. So then it's like, but, you know, you're like 10 years old, you know, you don't know these people from a different school, like yeah. you're forced to <laughs> dance, do you know, for the teachers. It's just like not a very inclusive no, it society. It's a great yeah. idea, but like, and then... In theory, but not mm, in practice. And that existed for one year for me at school, mm. in primary school, and then I went to secondary school and there's no initiatives like that at all. Right. So, um... Yeah. So, I mean, your parents would have grown up during the Troubles and been there. Mm. They, they must have spoken about it and, and the kind of like, how does it impact daily life? Like, I guess from a Protestant side, it's probably more impactful from a Catholic side. Sure. I mean, I would say I, I lived in a town that was, I think it's maybe about 
13 or 14 miles from Belfast. Mm. So relatively close, uh, 20, 30 minutes in the car. Um, and there wouldn't have been, say, too many bombings or any or shootings or anything like that. But, um, do you know, you would have felt the impact of this. Do you know, we always said as a band, it was, you know, if we'd, we would go and we'd go play gigs around Ireland and you'd be like, the main road to Dublin. You'd always be like, oh, for fuck's sake. It takes an hour and a half to get to Dublin these days so the roads are good now. Mm. But if that one road isn't open, then it takes like three hours oh. and that road would be, it's like, oh, another bomb scare. It'd always be like, the road's right. closed, there's been a bomb scare. So, I mean, that was a big, that was okay. the major impact, I guess, on our, sort of us as a band, but then more so in the terms of labeling. It's very tribal, do you know? It's like, you are, if you you have to be one thing or another. Okay, do you know, and there'd yeah, be kids yeah. at school who like, their parents weren't religious, they'd never been to church, but somehow they were Protestant, you know? Yeah. Um, And then, you know, that it, even in my sort of middle-class community, very close to us would be um, quite sort of bastions of loyalists, and that's another term, which would be the more kind of loyalist communities would be more associated with things like the Orange Order or the UVF or the UDA or UV UFF. They all have three letters for some reason. Yeah. So these are kind of paramilitary groups who were, who you know, used violence during the Troubles, armed militias, basically. So there would be these communities in my little town, um, and they're still very much affiliated to illegal organisations today. You know, there would be murals painted with, you know, some, uh, some man in military clothing and a palaclava and a AK-47 in his hand, you know, ready to fight for Ulster kind of thing. And so by Loyalist and by Ulster, that's fighting for <laughs> the mainland? They see it as they don't want any any chipping away of their Britishness. Right, okay. So Loyalist and Ulster, is that's not the IRA. That's the no, other side. but Ulster is a province. Right, okay. So the province of Ulster is Northern Ireland and Donegal. But Donegal is part of the Republic of Ireland. So there are four provinces of Ireland. Ulster, Leinster, Munster and Connacht. So, and then within that, then they're split up into states. These are kind of traditional sort of provinces, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so, yeah, it's all, and the terms are confusing as well for a lot of people. Yeah. So I just grew up with it, so I know what these things are. But, yeah. Um, but these, uh, these loyalist sort of, groups they would have been present and you know you'd always have someone who'd be like oh don't mess with him his dad or his uncle or his big brothers in the uda or in the uvf or these are sort of right terrorist organizations yeah um, but they're terrorist organizations because i guess when people think of northern ireland and terrorist or they you instantly think of the ira sure which is now Sinn fein kind of does that grow grow out of the ira Sinn fein but it's like the legit government party well it's things like the ira sort of they um <laughs> they really grew out of the fight for it independence you know started around 1916 and Sinn Féin as well Sinn Féin were the pretty right, much okay. the first sort of party in ireland when the, uh, it was called the Irish Free State. The South got independence. You know, they mm. were, and they were their members were also, you know, at that time they were very much freedom fighters. Yeah. And they kind of split off and sort of went dormant for a long time. And they sort of, Sinn Fein went dormant as well for a long time. And they sort mm. of came back um, around, I guess they kind of rose to prominence, six, 70s, 80s. Um, so. Yeah. I guess when people think of ter terrorism in Northern Ireland, I think of the IRA, though. People from here, I mean. And I think that's been quite carefully crafted to be that way. Yeah. Because, so, you'd have terrorist organisations on both sides. Mm. You know, local people like picking up arms. You never hear of the UDA. Really. Sure. Like, I 
didn't know that term until I started doing research yeah, for this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but and, the, and I think the British government have done a lot to kind of to to stop information about that side of it coming out. I think a lot of it is to do with it's a big issue at the moment has been for a long time or what is called Northern Ireland collusion mm. so during the troubles um, the British security services using these Protestant paramilitary organisations such as the UVF and the UDA to do the dirty work almost and we're talking assassinations you being in a certain area means therefore you must be Catholic therefore you know we'll kill you Mm. Um, so and there is a lot of collusion between the local police force which were you know Protestant and this has been like uncovered after kind of uh, retrospective investigations right still going on to this day Um, this isn't like hearsay no 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 these are proper sort of judicial reviews almost Um, and yeah you know these they're still going on and they're very very um, emotional affairs because the I think the thing with Northern Ireland is that this wasn't you know some sort of far f- uh, this wasn't really all that long ago do mm-hmm. you know so my parents generation are the people who lived through it do you know you'd have famous people like you know the comedian Patrick Kilty do you know his dad was killed wow. um, suspected by the UVF do you know just for being a, uh, a prominent Catholic yeah um, but I say Arlene Foster, who is who was the first minister of Northern Ireland, mm. um, do you know her party, the DUP, who props up the, the Conservative government here in London? Um, do you know her dad was he, uh, he was shot so by the IRA? Um, so these personal experiences really frame how 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 these, this tribalism still exists today mm. do you know and I think that's why it's so hard to move on from the legacy of the troubles is that you know this wasn't 100 years ago there's people who are still alive today who do you know and Northern Ireland's a small place where communities um, you know sort of jumble into each other so yeah. there's every chance in a small rural community that the guy who shot your dad you probably see him Mm. Do you know he probably buys his milk in the same place as you? Do you know he probably yeah. buys his newspaper in the same place as you? He might go to the same pub as you. So, and a very you know in the peace settlement in Northern Ireland, a big part of it was, I guess, amnesty for people who'd been imprisoned because of acts they'd done under the guise of either protecting their Protestant community or protecting mm. their Catholic community or, do you know the idea of reunifying with the Republic of Ireland. Do you know people who committed, I guess to some people's eyes, murder and to other people kind of, it's war, do you know what I mean? Um, These people have been released from prison and to a lot of people, do you know, that's a hard sort of pill to swallow. Mm. Um, So this is what a lot of people will be hearing now about the... um God, what am I talking about? The Good Friday Agreement. Good Friday Agreement, also known as the Belfast, Belfast Agreement. Tr- agreement, yeah. So this is what everyone's talking about at the moment because sure. obviously Brexit yes. is a thing that's happening apparently. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> that's knows? a whole other podcast. Um, but it, it kind of calls into question, it, it kind of goes against certain things that were set out in the Good Friday Agreement around the border. Sure. And then that's that's kind of stirring up those old tensions yeah it's a very strange thing because do you know as part of the peace agreement the good friday agreement or the belfast agreement Mm. signed in 1998 again not actually that long ago ago. yeah whatsoever so you know i was i know i i remember that you know vividly yeah um do you know i remember ash and you two playing a playing gigs in Belfast being you know for we've done it you know and yeah. him and David Trimble who was a, a very prominent man in the negotiations him and um, and um, John Hume you know holding hands with Bono being like yeah we did it you know wow. um, but 
You know, uh, the major part of this, which seems, seems very at odds with, say, the sort of hardline Protestant British culture there with things, people like the DUP, mm. you know, enshrined in the agreement was that, you know, the Republic of Ireland and the British government hold no sway in the sense of th- they have no aim in Northern Ireland. Mm. If you guys want to stay part of uh, the UK, that's fine. We don't care. If you want to, st- if you want to reunite with the rest of Ireland, that's fine. We don't care. Do you know what I mean? And it seems very strange to me to how to how do you reconcile that with sort of that really strong feeling of Britishness mm. when do you know? I guess essentially the main government or your monarch doesn't really care if you're there or not. Do you know what I mean? Doesn't care if you're part of the UK or not. Essentially, during the War of Independence, they finally, you know... And this predates World War One. This was started in 1916, so right yeah. slap bang in the middle of World War One, which is a lot of the assumption why people think uh, the British, the Crown forces in Ireland were so aggrieved by it and, and were very... Um, they reacted very heavy-handedly handedly mm-hmm. in terms of executions and things like that. Um, so after they decided to to sort of talk about peace and about some sort of independence for, for Ireland, um, the large Protestant um, unionist majority in the north were, were worried about, you know, being controlled from a government in Dublin losing their supremacy essentially in their area um so the sort of ira and Sinn Féin in the south mm. they were a bit like we don't really know what to do about northern ireland when we go to these peace negotiations let's not really bring it up because we don't want to get bogged down and stuff we don't really have a policy on yeah and the british government were kind of doing the same they were like i don't really know what's going on up there like kind of thing so they agreed to a peace settlement and they said okay we'll sort out the border next year basically yeah so you know there was a lot of because I guess some people would say the, the communities that sort of that sort of sit on the border today would be largely Catholic largely nationalist and by nationalist I mean would prefer to be part of a united Ireland or part of Ireland yeah. see themselves as Irish rather than British so there was a big question of does the border the proposal from you know the Catholics in, in Dublin and Sinn Féin was Ireland was going to Northern Ireland was going to be about 77 square miles mm-hmm. Do you know it was going to be tiny almost to the point where it would never survive in, in, in its own right it would have to then would suddenly probably become part of United Ireland because it would have been tiny because yeah. the part of Northern Ireland where there's a Protestant majority is quite small really it's more centered in the north and the east and they just couldn't agree and there was turned into a civil war in Ireland and they kind of were just like the 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 unionists in the north were like we're not having that we're not going to be involved in this negotiation about the border mm. and they kind of decided to just leave it by the counties that exist this you know yeah so the six counties so even that it doesn't even in a sort of cultural way it doesn't really make a lot of sense and it's just kind of been left and um, you know there's never been any sort of popular vote never referendum or anything like that on being part of ireland or being part of britain yeah and sort of so outside of that kind of northeast part everything was predominantly catholic and then there will still like be a lot of Protestant communities, but the yeah. majority sort of shifts towards Catholic. The closer you get to the closer you get to the more west you go. So, yeah. you know, places like Tyrone, Armagh, Fermanagh, parts of of Derry or County Londonderry or right, however yeah, you okay. want to frame it. Um, so yeah, the border is quite. Uh, you know, people would say it doesn't make a lot of sense in some ways, and. I mean, in terms of, you could be on one on driving down a road, and on the left hand side you'd be in Northern Ireland, on the right hand side you'd be in the Republic of Ireland. Mm. So how it's do you police? It's not a hard border. No, yeah. I mean it was, up until the Good Friday Agreement. Gotcha. Um, which 
enshrined the right of people to decide whether you want to be Irish, hold an Irish passport, or hold a British passport, or both. So I would hold both. Mm. Um, it's just useful. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of it's it's a bit of a quagmire. Do you know what I mean? And kind of right. So I mean, in, in terms of Brexit, like you say, you can have both passports. Yes. So then, by next year, could you still have both passports? Yes. The rule is if you or your parent, I think it's, uh, or grandparent, maybe they're changing it just down to parent, was born on the island of Ireland, mm. you can... Will that rule remain? Yes. Because you would have to dismantle the Good Friday Agreement, which is essentially... Okay, yeah. What is in sh- sort of allowed most, the majority, there is splinter groups, the majority of the IRA and the majority of the UVF and UDA to, to lay down their weapons mm. and pursue political means rather than... Yeah. Violent means. But then I guess you have certain things, though, have to change because of the... Well, yeah, because... because of the Brexit thing. I don't know. I'm just. Does that mean that everyone in Northern Ireland pretty much just gets a European passport next year? It's an interesting one. People, some a lot of people sort of see it as their duty. Some Protestants see it as their duty mm. to, you know, to not do that, to be... Even if it, you know, I know a lot of people voted. So the DUP would be the big Protestant political party. Yeah. They wanted people to, to vote to leave the European U- Union. And, you know, Northern Ireland rather overwhelmingly voted to remain mm. in the European Union. Um, and, yeah, so a lot of people sort of say it's my duty to, to vote for something that will cause me f- financial harm. You know, a lot of businesses mm. and things like that. So, it's I don't know whether everyone will just get an Irish passport or not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the border things are interesting because, and it, it comes back to a lot of I think, people don't know a lot about Northern Ireland or really care. It doesn't really seem like any thought was given to it before mm. the referendum or anything like that. Because you know, there's more border crossings between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland than there are border crossings between you know the eu and eastern european countries at that sort of border of the eu mm-hmm. you know there's more border crossings in between northern Ireland and the republic you know there's there's like 77 that aren't even you know charted on a map yeah they would just be like in the middle of some boy's field <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah, like a yeah, tiny yeah, little yeah it's like bridge. unpoliceable yeah yeah without hard infrastructure yeah which you know people on the border you know customs british government officials is just not good in those areas do you know what i mean they're targets for people who see you know that as a a threat to being of their irishness Mm. while living in and that's it's in you know you have to be almost have to like be listening out so carefully what people say so you know people would if you were a nationalist you would never call it northern ireland you would always call it the north of ireland right do you know so yeah, it's a bit like who knows what's going to happen, and also yeah. that sort of, that sort of, um, that sort of seeing it as your duty mm. with the DUP. Do you know they then see it as well? We don't want to be any different to England, Scotland, and Wales, even if it's in our benefit. Yeah. So this will never. I think a lot of people are talking about this. Seems like a, a way of. United Ireland actually happening because a lot of a lot of Catholics wouldn't have been very fussed about having United Ireland mm. um, do you know because they had financial stability for a long time um, and the Republic was hit quite hard in the financial crash really hard yeah so do you know and people are kind of like just don't want to rock the boat kind of thing we've got mm. we got to this sort of objectively a level of peaceful time but when you start threatening their you know their business their livelihood you know even their ability to you know go across one side of the street to the other without needing their passport um do you know i think this could really sway this could really sway it to the other side to, to be an actual real um desire to to go back to united ireland so who knows? <laughs> um, oh my god! Yeah, it's quite a confusing thing, and I, I, it's hard to kind of 
it's hard to kind of I don't know whether you want to talk about it in a linear way of like then it's just like I don't know it's just it's the it's not it's not a 45 minute podcast is no. it no so it's a I feel like we went off on a tangent with the Brexit stuff and we haven't even covered like for I guess maybe people who uh, live in outside of Ireland or the north of Ireland Northern Ireland <laughs> and they just know certain like little bits of history like the the Brighton Hotel sure. or like Bloody Sunday sure and you just you just know these little bits from the news from the past that yeah. are kind of referenced at school maybe in a history class or perhaps in a U2 song or yeah, something sure. like that. that's how you're that's how you kind of get your history to I suppose to uh to people who are a lot like myself it's mm. like it's still just it's maybe like a linear narrative is what we need to kind of go oh, okay but then yeah like you said so it feels so weighted towards like the ira or the sure. bad terrorists and yeah, i mean yeah, they did yeah. kill a lot of people oh yeah completely of course like they're not innocent they're completely deplorable <laughs> yeah <do you> know? <laughs> um it's just yeah i guess it's not having all the information presented in a linear fashion and uh in a balanced nature that makes it's so confusing to people who haven't grown yeah. up there or lived there or lived through it or have family who've lived through it and had it explained to them countless times completely yeah and that's it i think and i think as i said before it gets a bit frustrating when things are sort of used as a means to as an end to something else do you know what i mean i mm. say sort of jeremy corbyn things like that would be like oh look at this picture of him with martin mcginnis who is who is is uh you know now now has died and yeah. you know he was a member of the ira and mm. and uh what was the deputy first minister of northern ireland for a long time um as a member of Sinn Féin so do you know what I mean it's like like the Queen's fucking met Martin McGuinness do you know what I mean yeah it, it, and it's sort of dragged up to be like this the the boogeyman of like IRA bad this person in a room with them therefore they bad do you know what I mean I think yeah. it's quite it's used quite um, to damage people politically when the context in Northern Ireland is that you know okay so the DUP, who are, you know, it's the government of the Conservatives and, and DUP, do you know what I mean? That they are in government um, on a national level. Do you know, they're still very, very, very much affiliated with the UVF. These are terrorist organisations who are illegal. Um, and the same with Sinn Féin, they're very, very still linked with, you know, members of the IRA. And it's funny because, do you know, the Northern Ireland's part of the UK, um, so if you look at say like like a MI5 might be like the threat of terrorism to the UK do you know the still the highest level is do you know Northern Irish terrorists not not like Islamic State or anything like that do you know really yeah from both sides or mainly from the IRA from the from both sides from both sides they're still very much active um, a lot of it in term is current into criminal activity in terms of I don't know territory control and drug dealing and things like that right um, but you know they're still very much active and things that would be you know if 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 it was a Muslim person it would be like international news you know raided a house and there's you know you know bombs and guns and ammunition and like they always find things like mortars or C4 or whatever yeah do you know what I mean but because it's a uh, you know, uh, uh, someone from the IRA. It's just like local news. That happens. That still happens. Wow. <laughs> Do you know, and it's still a lot of kind of territory control. Well, if people, I feel like we need to wrap it up because yeah. it's Sorry. Like we're, like we're, go we're going on tangents and... Uh, and I, my head's starting to hurt a little bit. Yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> no, it's good though. It's nice to know stuff about things that are literally on your doorstep. Yeah. Yeah, and it's good to read up on things which may even you know come come into the news and politics a lot more prevalently in the future but mm. if, if people want to like know more read more there's a lot of films right i mean i i there's definitely a lot of films around there are yeah. yes are there, are there any worth watching or worth from your or are they mostly 
weighted to one side? I would I would preamble this to say there is a suspicion there you know, and some people would throw out the suspicion a lot that anything that doesn't fit their view of what happened is romanticized. There would be a lot more on the sort of Catholic nationalist side in terms of um a little bit more sort of empathy towards them in terms of films. But there's amazing Ken Loach film, The Wind That Shakes the Barley. Do you know it's kinda Killian Murphy's first thing basically? Oh, wow. It's an incredible movie. About you know, the War of Independence in in um in the south of Ireland. And then you would have um, you know, Steve McQueen did an amazing film called Hunger with Michael Fassbender, um, centered around political prisoners during the Troubles. Mm. Um, you know, jailed without trial, yeah, indefinitely, um, and that's something that's very important to, to in Northern Ireland. You know, this existed in the UK. Do you know people going to prison without trial? Yeah, um, you know, not somewhere in a far-flung colonial place mm. in the UK in the seventies. People were in prison without trial, um, and you know, a lot of them protested not being treated as political prisoners and protested, you know, being tortured. Um, by going on hunger strike, um, and you know, Steve McQueen did a did a doc uh, a, a movie about a, the most famous hunger striker, Bobby Sands, mm. um, who was the first. Uh, I mean, there's loads of great little like sort of tangents in this. You know, he's the first person to ever be elected to Westminster in prison while in prison. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And the first ever woman to be elected to Westminster was an Irish Republican. But she doesn't ever get mentioned because she didn't ever, there was, you know, she didn't ever take her seat. But she was the uh, first to be elected. Really? What was her name? Um, I think it's Caroline Markovitz, something mm. like that. Markovitch. Is that would have been what, in the 70s? No, in like 19, maybe like 1918, 1920, sometime wow. around oh, then. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. That is impressive. Yeah. So lots of oh, wow. little nuggets of, uh, of things in there. Okay. This is going to be incredibly hard to edit. I'm just not going to edit it. Edit. I'm just <laughs> not going to edit it. I'm just going to put it right up. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, no, it's nice uh, to talk about. Thank you for listening. A really big thanks to Kev. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you did, then I would say also check out our podcast with Arnie from The Vaccines about the situation in Iceland. That is at talktheline.blog. Next week, I'm talking to Lucy Rose about being boring. You've been listening to Talk The Line. I'm Jen Long. This podcast is produced by Paul Bridgewater with original music by Seams. It is a podcast from the line of Best Fit. You can follow us on social media, you can subscribe to this podcast and you can leave us a glowing review if you're feeling rather lovely. See you next week.